I'll summarize and then, then we'll get to the end. So one night, a man has a dream. He's walking along the beach with the Lord and sees scenes from his life played out as he goes along. But at the end, looking back along the beach, he notices that in the hard and difficult times, there was only one set of footprints. So he says to the Lord, Lord, I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. The Lord replied, my son, my precious child, that was the time I thought it would be funny if we both hopped. I'm sorry to have ruined that poem for you, but of course, the original ends, uh, it was then that I carried you. My son, it was then that I carried you. But this, pictures of this and posters of this poem still sell in Christian bookshops. Really popular. Why? It's because we have that question, don't we? God, where are you in the tough times? Uh, what, should we, what should we make of it when life is a struggle? <clears throat> and I think sometimes we have another concern too. When things are going great, we can end up asking not, God, where are you? But we can end up wondering if God might be asking us, where are you? So how can we remember God? How can we know him, love him, and obey him? in the good times and in the bad. And this is what Moses in uh, chapter 8 is getting the Israelites to think about as they're about to enter the promised land. So Moses has had them doing heaps of reminiscing and remembering, reflecting on their history already. This time specifically, he wants them to remember their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He wants them to learn from that experience how to remember God to know him and love him and obey him. As, as they're moving, so materially, they're moving from kind of survival mode to thriving mode. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at good things about the bad times, bad things about the good times, and God's goodness all of the time. And there's an outline in your leaflet there to help you know where to write stuff or doodle. So, good things about the bad times. So, to recap, this generation of Israel um, escaped Egypt in, in the Exodus, miraculously, but they'd failed being too afraid to enter the promised land, first time of asking. And that generation's died out, wandering around the desert. Um, so, this, the red wiggly line in my super fancy map there, for 40 years, uh, whilst this new generation grew up. And yet God looked after them, you know, he gave them water, verse 15, he gave them a food, like a bread called manna, verse 16, um, that's miraculously appeared. So they were, they were well provided for, but still, it, it was the wilderness, you know. We get Moses like, you know, have you ever read those TripAdvisor reviews of hotels? This is Moses' TripAdvisor review of the wilderness, if you look at verse 15, he led you through the Vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. So it wasn't great. So why, why did God give Israel this tough time in this tough place? Well, firstly, verse 2, to humble and test them, to test them. 
So verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you um, all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So as a teenager, um, I used to go on Christian camps and we'd have a Bible study at quiet time every morning before breakfast. And this particular year we're doing a sub-series on why shouldn't I? Um, and this particular morning was, why shouldn't I swear? It was a good Bible study. But after brekkie, Artan and this leader who'd led the study were on washing up duty. And unfortunately, she ended up getting scalded by boiling hot water. Now, she was okay. It was minor injuries. Okay in the end. But when she got scalded, she screamed out a very colorful metaphor, shall we say. And that pain had revealed where her heart was really up to, at least as far as swearing was concerned. Now, lots of us have done that. But how do you respond under real pressure, under real tough times? That's when you really get to know yourself, I think, isn't it? When you really show your hand. And we've got two choices when we come to struggle. We, we can... It can turn us towards God, leaning on him more and more in our struggle. Or if we don't do that, we'll just we'll end up seeking comfort and support from something else. So for Israel, the way to turn towards God in their struggle, in their tough time, was to keep obeying his commands, whatever the circumstances. And for us, thanks to Jesus we can approach God directly in prayer. As troubles threaten to distract us, we can double down into our Bible reading and seeking God's comfort and direction from there. And we can do all that in the context of encouragement and fellowship from our church family. So God put Israel um, in the wilderness to test them, and verse 3, to teach them. You know, I think I've worked out what I need to make me a, a better pastor. I've, I've cracked it. I need a new iPad. And not just any old iPad, a new iPad professional. And not just any old iPad professional. I need an iPad professional 10.7-inch screen. And, of course, to make the most out of it, I'm going to need a new fancy Apple pen as well. And probably a new keyboard and things like that. Once I've got all of that, I'll have what I need to be a top pastor, won't I? Now, of course, that's a silly example. And it's an exaggerated thing of what, what we do, often do. But we always have that something that we're waiting for that means we've arrived at okay. That life is now good. But for any of us to really grow as God's disciples, we need God to teach us an important lesson. Uh, for Israel to make it to the promised land, they had to learn this lesson too. And the way they learn it and we learn it is by being humbled. So verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth 
of the Lord. So man does not live on bread alone. What, what that's not about, it's not contrasting the physical, material, and the spiritual. It's not saying physical is bad, spiritual is good. That's a, a Greek idea. Remember, Jesus was physically resurrected, just as we will physically be resurrected. No, what Moses is saying is that we need to rely on God in all things. We need to rely on God in all circumstances. Now, of course, if you've read uh, Numbers or Deuteronomy you'll, or Exodus, you'll know that Israel didn't trust and didn't rely on God. So despite their miraculous delivery from Egypt, they doubted, they whinged, they rebelled, they were unfaithful. But there would come, however, one Israelite who would rely on God completely. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan back into the wilderness, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus was tested in the wilderness like the Israelites. But he showed his heart to be pure when he was tested. He showed that his trust in God was complete. So Israel being hungry in the wilderness and God feeding them was to humble them to see that all they needed to do was trust God. And when we go through tough times, we need to follow Jesus' example and let the experience humble us and teach us to rely on God. Okay, so that's good testing, good teaching, and thirdly, hard times help us to appreciate how God provides. Verse 4, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. God provided for them. He looked after them in the wilderness. God provides for us. We can trust him. And going without things for a while can really help you to see that, can't it? Now, this is not to say genuine poverty and genuine mal malnutrition, hunger are not good. And that's why so many of Israel's laws con um, were concerning care for the most vulnerable but Israel could look back to the wilderness in a time of need and conclude, God provides. God had our back. And in our tough times, we can be sure that God has us safe. Even, even as we face terminal illness, even as we face death, we have sure hope that it's not the end for us, that God will welcome us as sons and daughters. And our final good thing about the bad times, God uses them to discipline us, to discipline us. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. 
I spent ages trying to think of an illustration for this. I'm going to return to one of my old favorites. So forgive me if you've heard this before. When Owen was little, I've got his permission for this, don't worry. When Owen was little, we tried to teach him the discipline of good manners um, to take forward into outside society where we wanted him to be a little less uncouth than I am at home. Uh, so we taught him to say, pardon me when he burped and excuse me for, you know, pop-offs. So one evening came and we're out in polite company and sure enough, Owen lets one go. It's about five at this point, not 15. Um, Owen lets one go. I say, Owen, what do you say? And he's got his thinking face on. I said, what have I taught you at home to always say when you do one of those? Uh, sniff up. <laughs> Smell that one. That's not the lesson I'd wanted him to learn. He hadn't quite got what I wanted him to carry forward into polite company. The discipline had tried to give him had not worked. Thanks, so. You can ask him about that later. So the key thing about, the point of that is, the key thing about Israel's time in the wilderness was to prepare them, to discipline them in, in being humbled, in, in humility and obedience, on relying on God, so they could take that forward into the promised land and thrive there under God. The discipline of taking what they'd learned in, in the wilderness and taking it forward into the promised land. And there are heaps of references in the Old and New Testament to tell us the same principle. Here's a couple. Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Hebrews 12.6 and 7. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what, what children are not disciplined by their father? So what am I saying? Am I saying if you are really doing it tough right now, you should just suck it up and be glad about it because it's from God? Uh, no, we need to be careful. We live in a broken, fallen world and bad things happen. So in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus cites the example of someone being killed, uh, 18 people being killed when a tower falls on them. And he says that it's not because they were worse sinners. But he does use it as a warning to us that all of us face death and judgment. I don't think we see anywhere in the Bible that we're supposed to enjoy doing it tough, supposed to like it especially. But what we do see is that it's not pointless. That God uses hard times to test us, to teach us, to focus us on his provision, and to discipline us. So if you are doing it tough, when you do do it tough, trust and rely on God. Because you're already over the hill. You're already over the hill. What do I mean by that? We, we, can, we can tend to live our lives, I think, with our eyes focused on some imaginary spot that's just over the hill, just over the horizon. Uh, you know, when we, just when we got through our exams, or when we've got that job, or that house, or that good health, or a husband or a wife, uh, th then my humbling will be complete, and I can 
then get on with trusting God and living life with him. The trouble is that climbing to the top of the hill becomes a treadmill. The point is not to wait until you've climbed your way to the top, but to trust and rely on God at the bottom of the hill, in the middle of the hill or at the top. The time for trusting God is now. You already have everything you need in Jesus. Remember Ephesians? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what we already have. You're already over the hill. Trust and rely on God now. So the big question for Israel on the edge of the promised land is will they carry all this wilderness learning and humbling forward into the promised land? Because there are bad things about the good times. Bad things about the good times. So the TripAdvisor review for the promised land is much, much better, isn't it? Uh, Verse 7. It's a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. And there's not just manna to eat. It's a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates. It's like saying caviar or something, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Everything that they need and more. But there's going to be dangers. There are dangers associated with having plenty. So first up, pride, verses 10 to 14. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees I'm giving this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. The danger is that they will become proud of what they have been provided and forget about the provider. Proud of what they've been provided and forget about the provider. Forget God. So I wonder if the danger for us is not so much patting ourselves on on the back for our material wealth, because Australians don't like a tall poppy, do they? But what about feeling proud? For us having faith, for us being Christian. I mean, you know, we're in a Trinity Network church. We're proper Christians, aren't we? You know? I think I've seen this a bit in um, all the debate that's online a very, at the moment, a very us and them attitude, which displays a pride in being on God's side. Um, which comes out in a lack of love for the other side. What we need to remember, we don't need to stand up for things, but we need to remember that left to our own devices, without God's intervention in our own wilderness, we would be just as lost as anybody else. The way to remember God 
in the good times, verse 11, is to keep knowing and obeying his commands. So for us, his word to us in the Bible. The thing is, if pride slips in, uh, as we can end up obeying out of duty. Uh, we can end up trying to obey God's word to maintain that good self-image we have of ourselves, obeying it for ourselves, rather than obeying in response to God, uh, in response to God making us whole through Jesus. So watch out for pride in the good times. And watch out for taking the credit, verses 17 and 18. So there's a painting here, I think so. Uh, for much of the 50s and 60s, Walter Keane was the world's top-selling artist. And his famous oils of sad-looking waifs with enormous, often tearful eyes were everywhere. Charging up to $50,000 for each picture, even Andy Warhol admitted he was impressed. There was only one problem. Walter Keane hadn't created a single one of the coveted paintings. Indeed, he couldn't paint to save his life. The artist was, in fact, his quiet, dignified wife, Margaret, kept a virtual prisoner in a back room of their huge home, churning out pictures whilst Walter lapped up the acclaim and squandered the millions she earned. Walter took all the credit. And Moses warns Israel, if they forget God, verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. So yes, Israel are promised that if they obey, it will go well for them in the land. But that doesn't mean that the good times they will end up enjoying are somehow earned by them. They remain a gift of God because, verse 18, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. And yes, we are called to work and obey faithfully for God. And we pray that he will use our efforts to build Trinity Bay, to build his church and reach the lost. And it's right for us to measure you know, stats and things to measure the health of our church, to see um, what we could be doing better to help us grow humanly. But any growth that we do see, that we do help make happen, is only because God gave us that ability to help make it happen. Let's not take any credit that belongs to God. Israel must also be wary of misplacing the credit, verse 19, of giving the gods that the locals at the promised land, giving them the credit that God deserves. So we can do this. We probably don't have little gods at home, but we can end up giving something else to credit when we look to anything else to provide our ultimate security and fulfillment. So be it work or family or status or whatever. So, for example, if you think your fulfillment is going to come from your career, what are you going to pour all your energies into? What are you going to lean on in tough times? And if your family are your ultimate, ultimate security, how much control and pressure are you going to end up exerting on them? 
What weight of expectation are you going to put them under? So instead, we need to give credit where it's due. Only God deserves the credit for our security, our sense of belonging, our fulfillment. Because only he can truly give us those things. So, we've seen how God uses the tough times to teach us to rely on him. We've seen how the good times are great, but we need to make sure that we remember God who gave them to us. Carrying forward that humility from the tough times into the good times. So where does that leave us? We need to remember God's goodness all the time. So life isn't about trying to get over that hill, just about making the bad times good times. Life's about relying on God, trusting in him in all circumstances. So back to the wilderness for a moment, just to finish off. God was bringing Israel into a good land, but they were never going to be able to make it under their own steam, in their own strength. They needed God's intervention to give them bread, manna, to survive all those years in the wilderness. And every one of us is made to be in the promised land of right relationship with God, enjoying peace with him now and ultimately perfect joy with him forever in a, in a new heaven and earth. But none of us can make it on our own. So God has given us Jesus, the bread of life. And so we saw that Israel were to remember God, the way Israel were to remember God was to obey his commands. So what's his command to us now? This is from John chapter 6. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the command to us. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So there is a food that Jesus will give you to live forever. Jesus can satisfy our mind, our imagination, our deepest longings. True life is found in Jesus, whatever our circumstances. So remember your humbling from the tough times. Remember that God has rescued you from your sin. And carry that humility into every situation to always rely on God, trusting in Jesus in all circumstances. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, um, pray for those of us going through tough times right now, really hard times. Please um, help us to be humble in those situations. Please help us to learn from them, to understand the state of our heart, and to completely rely and trust in you. Uh, Please help us carry forward our learning from those humbling situations into our times of plenty and protect us from pride, from taking the credit for ourselves and for being on the treadmill of always trying to get over the hill. Please help us to trust you in the here and now. And thank you for Jesus, the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Please join with me now as we uh, come before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the creator and sustainer of all things and the giver of all good gifts. We praise you for who you are and thank you that we can come before you in prayer. Thank you for your call of grace on our lives and for the people that spoke your gospel to each of us. And Father, as we bring before you our hopes and fears, our aspirations and our failures, cover us with your unfailing love, shape us more and more into your likeness and help us to live lives that are worthy of the grace you have generously poured out on us. We thank you for this community of believers here at the Bay. We thank you for Colin, Mark and Peter and the key roles that they play. Thank you for their dedication, passion and keen desire to serve and make you known. And we ask that you would continue to shape, mould and grow them as they teach and lead us. Thank you for the range of gospel groups that meet each week and for the people that attend. And we pray that these groups would be a source of encouragement, learning and mutual support for all. And we pray that we would be a people who seek the wisdom and instruction of your grace for all areas of our life. Father, we give you thanks that we are part of the Trinity Network of Churches and today we bring before you the network and we give you thanks for the health of the churches in the network and the many ministries that are flourishing. And Father, we do pray that as we come to the time of year when budgets are set, we do ask that you would be with all of the leadership teams across the network that they all would be fully dependent upon you in all that they plan and that they do. And we pray for the Trinity Network Board as they seek to continue to work out how they can support and enable the growth of a healthy, expanding network of churches. And Father, we also pray for recruiting of new staff for 2018 and beyond. We thank you that here, we know that uh, Cameron Munro is coming to be our new pastor. We pray, Father, for the hills as they are now seeking to find a new pastor to replace Cameron. We also bring Shana Stein up before you as she prepares to move to Spain with uh, Wycliffe. We thank you for the support and encouragement that the Bay community has pr provided to Shana so far in terms of both prayer and financial partnership. And we thank you for the provision of the funding she requires. We ask that Shana's final administrative requirements will progress smoothly and that her visa will be granted quickly. We also pray that you will grant her wisdom as she considers what she will need to take with her to Spain and what she will need to leave behind. Father, we know that we live in a world that is broken. Uh, it's full of poverty and despair. And we pray for the many places in the world where there is tension and conflict. We pray for those caught up in the numerous humanitarian tragedies across the world as people flee from their homelands seeking safety and security. Please give them comfort and hope in the midst of uncertainty and fear. We pray that our leaders may bring wisdom and sober judgment to these issues, but acknowledge that in the end only you can truly bring peace and restoration. We also pray for our own country and our governments, and we pray that they would seek to make wise and unselfish decisions which are in the best interests of those that they govern. And in our own community here at the Bay, Father, we pray for those among us now who are finding life a struggle. Please comfort them with your love. Give them strength to continue and the hope of your everlasting rest. Now let's join together in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And pray together. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth 
Vasana today, our day burdens. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power,